bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And Erica, I think this might be our last pod with just the two of us. Oh. Oh. I didn't even realize that. I think it might be. That's kind of sad. It is. I feel like I've gotten to know you and gotten closer to you, like, you know. Absolutely. Totally. Um, Forced friendship. (laughs) I'm delightful. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so how has your week been? It's been a bit of a blur. Right. Um, well, we got published this week in the Globe. We did in the Globe and Mail in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of, I feel like we stepped over a threshold or something. Oh, and we got mentioned on Canada land. Yes. So yes. shout out to Elamine for bringing us up and duly noted. Thank you. Oh, and thank you for saying my name is Eiffel and not Iffel. I really, no, you don't understand how much I appreciate that. <laughs> it was a really insightful discussion uh, regarding our co- our op-ed in the Globe and Mail about, it was a rebuttal to a piece that we referenced in our last pod um, from Mark, to Market Atwood. Um, and then Canada Land uh, guest host, Eleanor Abdul-Mahmoud. Um, and uh, who was he with? Um, Nafisa? I think it was Nafisa. I'm going to look it up. Keep talking. And uh, yeah, so they just had an insightful discussion about uh, feminism and how, you know, feminists like Margaret Atwood, they're kind of out of touch now because we've done it. We've made a general generational shift uh, in feminism. And it's not just about equality for women and having equal opportunity. It's more about equity for all. Her name is Nahid Mustafa. Yes. So, yeah, so shout out to them for a really interesting discussion um, regarding our, our op-ed. That's right. And we made, uh, we had some comments. <laughs> um, we did a big no-no. We, <laughs> we read them. Yeah, my boyfriend's like, yeah, no, <laughs> don't read the comments. Um, and so we, we will have a video coming out this week about, uh, with those, reading some of those comments. So stay tuned for that. Well, they're not as bad as YouTube. They're not as bad as YouTube. They're not as bad as some comments we've previously gotten. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, they're totally out of touch. Sure. But. They're I, comments by exactly who you think they would be from. Yeah. Basically angry white guys. Yeah. Commenting on yes. feminism. Which in itself is exactly what we're talking it's about. the whole point. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, let's get into it. Yeah, so, uh, wait, before we get into it, we just have to shout out two of our new patrons. Uh, We want to shout out Amy and Rod, so thank you for becoming uh, $5 patrons uh, of the podcast. And if you want to become a patron to uh, the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash badandbitchy and become a patron, and you can get our newsletter, you can get a whole bunch of other fun things. And don't forget, if you become a one dollar patron you get the chance to vote for a new co-host so make sure you download that bonus pod and then have your say in the democratic process um anyway so uh let's get into it oh and we don't do the electoral college we actually do the popular vote i mean it's a percentage (laughs) of the deciding (laughs) i'm just 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, so this week in feminism, um, Erica, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is pregnant. Oh, good for her. Cons- congratulations. Uh, so, Jacinda Ardern, Ardern uh, who is 37, announced on Friday that she is pregnant and expecting her first child this coming June. She first shared the news on social media saying that she will be prime minister and a mom and that her partner, Clark Gayford, will be a stay-at-home dad. Uh, she is the first leader to have a child in office since the Pakistani prime minister, Benazir Bhutto, gave birth to her daughter in 1990. And um, While in office, huh? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and so prime minister Ardern has said that she's going to take six weeks of maternity leave, which is considerably shorter than the up to 52 weeks uh, that is legally permitted in New Zealand. Um, and of course, this re- generated a range of responses. I can only imagine. Many of them were very positive. People were very excited. Um, but then, of course, the misogynists also came out. Because why would they stay under the, cro- the rock they can crawl out from? Sure. They need sunlight, too. Some vitamin, some vitamin <laughs> D. Um, so a slew of online comments attacked uh, Ardern's marital status because she's not married to her partner. Uh, they also commented on her ability to keep her feelings under control because heaven forbid women have hormones when they're pregnant. And there was also comments about the amount of time she's planning to take off to care for her newborn. Um, it's six weeks and she's going to give control of the government over to the deputy prime minister, which has happened in other countries in times of illness or other issues. So I don't think six weeks is a particularly long period of time. It's not a long period of time. I mean, if you think about it, we're six weeks away from March. Really? Yeah. Right. I just blew your mind. Damn. Oh, wow. <laughs> Erica's just very stressed right now. I'm like, I'm like, really? It's that quickly? <laughs> like, um, so some specific comments are, or from these misogynists are, she should resign ASAP and focus on family. She is ineligible to govern. Um, first of all, that's not how eligibility is decided. Uh, another says... I guess millennial world leaders don't feel it's important to get married first. Talk to your sons. Um, also, why do we need to be married? M- millions of people have children. Why is it her? F- why? Why is it all about her that she's not married? Like they're not two people in this relationship. But also, millions of other people and yeah. have children and are just in domestic partnerships or single parents if anything this and um that they seem to be doing fine well if anything this is like a reflection of modernity that's just what new zealand needs a sleep deprived emotionally volatile person running this show which also goes back to the the, the trope th- that women are irrational that they're hormonal that they can't deal with many things at once yeah a mother who can't multitask? Bitch, please. Like, exactly. Second of all, there's no more destructive, like, hormone than testosterone. How many... Yep. You want to talk anger and wars? How many wars have we gone into because of testosterone and ego? 
Yeah. And a bunch of psychopaths. A bunch dudes. of dick swinging. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, no. Oh, this is my favorite. <clears throat> Women like this are responsible for breaking down traditional family values. I'm sorry, but going back to your previous comment, uh, there are two people in this goddamn relationship, not just one. Mm-hmm. Talk to your sons. If you're so concerned, and I'm not saying, and I'm not making a right or wrong issue about this. I'm just saying that if you feel something's wrong, talk to your sons. Why should she carry the entire burden? Yeah. He's there. Clark. Why is Clark getting off scot-free? Like he wasn't there when this baby was conceived? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Don't you know uh, a stork brings a baby? Duh. Duh. <laughs> uh, this one's also dumb. Uh, shows irrespons- irresponsibility as a prime minister and a parent, half-assing both. I'm sorry. There are also millions of working mothers. They seem to be doing fine. Why do we think that work working women produce suboptimal children? I have no idea. Because I could tell you that's not true. Uh, are we saying this about Sheryl Sandberg? About Ivanka Trump even? No, we're not saying that about Ivanka Trump. Nope. So why is it okay for her? Like, Look not to belittle New Zealand because I think New Zealand's a beautiful country. Um, <laughs> and I know a lot of people there. I love this disclaimer already. <laughs> but, like, they're not at risk of going into war imminently. Nobody's they're call- not. In a trade, like, serious trade negotiations with their closest trading ally, like, what what serious issues are facing New Zealand right now that, like, could be life or death or seriously affect them economically? Like, what? That, that can't wait for six weeks. And yeah. six weeks is not a long time. I hope she brings that baby also, into parliament. I really do. Well, that's one of the things is that, like, I hope she breastfeeds New in Zealand and Australia are like very progressive countries in that a lot of women bring their children into parliament after they've given birth. And you've seen videos of in Australia, in the Australian parliament where, where there was an MP breastfeeding while giving some sort of speech on the floor. Now, personally, I think that just adds to women's emotional labor, but I see the point. Yeah. Um, That's the other side, but, but I'm going to stick with, this point here and not sure. bring that in yeah so although i just did um <laughs> but yeah um i i'm a big supporter of breastfeeding in public yeah. i've seen it done in what you call quote unquote underdeveloped countries yeah nobody gives a shit yeah and let's stop men this fucking pearl clutching exactly men aren't leering i've seen listen i've seen a woman give like breastfeed her baby on a crowded minibus and there were pure men around her and none of them flinched. None of them flinched and leered or jeered at her. Maybe the problem is the men is my point. Yes. Maybe my, maybe the problem is not the women and it's the men's response to, um, Oh, there's a tit out. There's a tit out. That's not for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, That's not for my sexual pleasure. That means it must be bad. It's so weird because you get all these people who want people that have all of these babies, but we can only follow then their rules as to when it's acceptable to take care of the babies and how to do it. Why does a woman... So somebody said you have to choose between motherhood and leadership. Is it motherhood leadership? It sure as fuck is. So why are they separate? Uh, I... I, Ain't nobody can multitask like like a woman with a newborn. Seriously. 
Ain't nobody can multitask like just, that. I think people are just pissed because he's going to be a stay-at-home dad. Ooh. So they're using her to get to him. They don't want to attack him because what are they going to say? Oh, he's a pussy? That's exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking he's a pussy. They're thinking it, but they're not going to say it. Okay. So let's get down to brass tacks then. Okay. So basically most men probably not most sorry hashtag not all men but a lot of men probably think that stay-at-home dads are pussies right totally okay so um i don't obviously oh this is what i mean to say so it plays into the whole ball-breaking woman you know ambitious woman this Mm -hmm. jezebel quote-unquote yeah this Jezebel ball breaking woman who needs an emasculated man as a partner because she can't deal with a real man or will ball bust him. I think that's more what the background is. Um, I think that there are definitely some women who believe that. And I think that there are definitely some women who think that men who say home are pussies. But... I would also say that those women who believe that aren't likely to be necessarily in high-paying power jobs. Right. You're thinking Arkansas. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like there is an urban-rural divide in this. Yes. And because I think New Zealand, while being like a, a progressive country, they are very rural. Yes. So I think that definitely. Yes, they are very rural. They're not an urban country. No, there's no, like, driving on the highways there, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, very few highways across the islands. Mm-hmm. You have to go, like, around them. It's not great. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, no no barrier, like, and you're, like, on a cliff. And you're like, cool, I could die right now. Yeah. So it may be, you're right, it may be an urban-rural divide in terms of and, in, and there's definitely a class divide. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've solved a problem. Or at least we've... Identified the, the cause of the problem. Yes. And we've like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sharper now. So this one... Well, that one was a kind of kind of fun and upbeat. Uh, this one, we're taking a radical turn. I love how that was fun and upbeat. No. Yeah. I love, I love comments. <laughs> Dumb comments from men. <laughs> I know. You laugh at them all the time. I'm just like, oh my god. I'm a I'm a big proponent of common sense, and like a lot of times, people are just dumb. <laughs> and you don't need you don't need a degree for common sense. No. Um. So the, our next topic is a hockey player's jail sentence has been delayed so it doesn't interfere with school. Um. So, so is this is this a is this a Canadian contribution? This is from Canada. Yay, because it said hockey. Yeah. So it's a tale as old as time, Erica. Boy meets girl. They're into each other. Boy asks girl for nudes. She complies. Boy uses nude photos as leverage over girl. Except in this case, the boy is 21 and the girl is 13. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ew. (laughs) What kind of James Franco shit is this? (laughs) 
Connor oh, Newrator from Alberta. Damn it! A former junior hockey player pled guilty to sexual interference for soliciting nude photos of a teenage girl and later using them to threaten her to keep their relationship a secret. He was also originally charged with child pornography, but that charge was dropped, and I it's not clear why. Uh, so he was sentenced to 90 days in jail in Kamloops, BC. Uh, but that sentence is being pushed off until May. So it's January. It's being pushed off till May. So it doesn't cut into his current semester at the University of Calgary. He also, excuse me, he also had a previous hearing delayed because he was out of province at a hockey tournament. Come on. Um, so the victim's mother told the Calgary Sun that she's frustrated by how many concessions the court has made to accommodate new raiders schedule they um some of the she quote she's quoted as saying oh sorry he's unavailable for court because he has a hockey tournament he's unavailable for court because he has exams he's unavailable to come to do his plea on his own because he's in the middle of studying let's just postpone his jail sentence until may so he can finish his year of university nobody has stood up and said no during this whole thing there is not one time where the judge or even the crown has said, please, this is just not right. The court, the victims are the ones who have been paying over and over every time we've gone to court. And this, this case just seems to be another part of a trend through which courts accommodate young white men guilty of violence against women. I mean, he's going to have to be a registered sex offender. He's going to be in jail. And I appreciate that he is going to get a college education for, I guess, one one more year. Finish his degree. It's not clear what year he's in in university. Probably third, I'm guessing. So maybe he can finish his degree. He'll, don't worry. He'll he'll be fine. It's 90 days. So he basically is summer vacation before he goes into his last year of school. Some comments. There's the obvious one, which I'll pass. But um, what is it with... Um, basically child molestation because he's a molester at that like she's 13 he's 21 yep um why is it and you know not to shit on conservatives but it seems to me like in a lot of those more right-wing areas this kind of quote-unquote relationship and i use that term very loosely is accepted by um especially by people of that political stripe roy moore i'm thinking right they just kind of excuse away the behavior yeah yeah and i don't know well that's exactly the same as evangelicals and trump right right they they excuse this behavior as though that that girl's damaged yeah i mean at the end of the day, she's damaged because I can only imagine the amount of manipulation that he's done. Mm-hmm. And he blackmailed her and he violated her. Yeah. And I'm not talking about violently violated her. I'm not talking about the sex. I'm talking about blackmailing her with nude photos that he probably manipulated her to take. He, that's a violation. Yes. So the fact that we're not talking about the violation and we're talking all about him just makes him Canada's Brock Turner, which means that Canada's no better. Well, so um, this story comes from Vice and they 
the, the question is, it seems to be a trend through which courts accommodate young men guilty of violence against women. And then they talk about another case from Newfoundland in which a 21-year-old man was given an absolute discharge after pleading guilty to assaulting his ex-girlfriend. And the judge said that the abuser, Lancelot Sanders. You're shitting me. His name I'm is Lancelot. I'm not fucking kidding. Okay. I can't take this seriously. Will be, <laughs> the judge said he will be, quote, very successful in life. So because he's going to be very successful, um, we're going to give him an absolute discharge. I want to know where's the... And I, I got to say, I got to shout out to Rona Ambrose uh, again. Like, this is this is the second time in two podcasts. I know. It's a thing. Um, just because I think that she had introduced legislation to really... Yes. To educate the criminal justice system on sexual harassment. That's and right. And I think... If Train, it was training she said hey there's a problem here let's at least try to start to fix it i have seen nothing of the sort coming really from anybody else in the sense that where's the recourse for these judges why do these judges in the courts have absolute power where is that recourse yeah it's it's not clear i think the i think that legislation was is going through the legislative system I'm not 100% sure, which might be why people aren't really pushing for it, because they're just sitting and waiting for it to happen. Yes. So the Senate has not passed it. Well, there you go. So the House of Commons can't really do anything because the Senate's sitting on it. Yeah, the Senate is sitting on it. That's basically what happened. Has it gone through any readings? So it's Bill C-337. So I'm assuming that it has, because it has a number. (laughs) It passed the House of Commons with bipartisan support in May 2017, but has languished in the Senate ever since. Oh, interesting. So basically, it's the Senate that is... um, So it went to second reading in the Senate uh, in December of 2017. Okay. Okay. Uh, And this amends the Judges Act to restrict the eligibility for judicial appointments to individuals who have completed comprehensive education in respect of manners related to sexual assault law and social context. It also requires the Canadian Judicial Council to report on continuing education seminars in matters related to sexual assault law. Furthermore, it amends the criminal code to require that reasons provided by a judge in sexual assault decisions be entered in the record of the proceedings or be in writing. I honestly feel for this for this victim and her family. Um, and all of them that seem to be... Uh, there was another hockey player at Queen's University, Chance McDonald. Why, oh, my God. Why do these, these guys the have ever. <laughs> the whitest dog names? Like, they, they're they dog are, names. They are dog names. Chance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you know ah. Chance ah. is the name of one of Aaron Rodgers and Olivia Munn's dogs? How do you know this? Uh, because I follow Olivia Munn on Twitter and she tags her dogs and th- one of them is at Chance Rogers. Who got the dogs then? She got them. Okay. Also, did you know Aaron Rodgers is dating Danica Patrick? No. Yes. Anyway, he this Chance McDonald assaulted a teenage girl at a party, but he was not sentenced until this past September, so September 2017, so that his internship at Deloitte would remain intact. So what did Queen's University do about it? 
I guess he's fucking still at school. I have no idea. You know what? I'm I've I've been increasingly disappointed in my alma mater. I really am because I'm just like going back to Lancelot Sanders. Seriously, you're gonna go back? I'm still on he, chance. He pled guilty to assaulting his 19 year old girlfriend, but won't receive a criminal record because he pled guilty. He's like, yeah, I did it. I assaulted her. But he's got a conditional di- or an absolute discharge. Well, yesterday was the women's march. And my question is, okay, that's great. Awareness is great. What the fuck are we going to do about it, right? This is a systemic issue where we're treating white kids, white boys, young men, special. Of means. Because you can only be of means to play junior hockey. Uh, Or to play collegiate hockey. Or to play any hockey for an extraordinary amount of time. Yep. Yeah. So my question is, like, I really, I'm not, I'm not an attorney. I don't know much about the courts, but there are some lawyers out there who marched yesterday. Yep. So my question is, what the fuck are you gonna do about it? Right. That's basically <laughs> it. And don't try to tell us there isn't a problem. Anybody who tells us there's no problem shouldn't really be calling themselves a feminist they're just not paying attention they don't want to pay attention they've got their heads in the sand but their iphones out for pictures okay (laughs) let's move on i love you know what i i have been thinking that um that um a lot of liberal publications are trash and when I say they're trash, I mean, let's let's look back to this time a year ago. Uh, Donald Trump had just been inaugurated and both the Washington Times and the New York or the, Was- the Washington, the Washington Post. Post. Sorry, the Washington Times is like this right wing site. It's that's not, like it's not. No, um, the Washington Post and the New York Times really branded themselves as the resistance. That's when they started, everyone started coming up with their new taglines for their mm-hmm. brands. Democracy dies in darkness. Yeah. Okay. How quickly they disposed of that. Okay. So in recent months, liberal news publications like the New York Times and the Washington Post have come under increased scrutiny for their coverage of race. From refusing to describe the president as racist to an obsession with racist quote-unquote white working-class voters to Nazi-sympathizing profile pieces, these media outlets proclaim to be saviors of truth in the era of, quote, fake news, have proven woefully unprepared to cover the normalization of open white nationalism under Donald Trump. This goes beyond a few poor editorial decisions. It speaks to the fundamental worldview of these liberal publications, white supremacy, White supremacist isn't a term you usually hear ascribed to the prestigious New York Times. White supremacy is a descriptor reserved for Breitbart. White supremacy isn't limited to websites that feature a quote-unquote black crime section like Breitbart. It's not even limited to conservative publications, sorry, whose editorial pages are littered with racist op-eds like the Wall Street Journal and the National Review. White supremacy is insidious and pervasive everywhere, including 
liberal media. Because white supremacy is not just neo-Nazis marching down the streets of Charlottesville in khakis, it is the belief that whiteness is supreme, that it must be treasured, cherished, defended, and centered at all times. And I'm glad that you put in this, this, this definition of white supremacy, because when we say white supremacy, all white people are like, well, we're not the KKK. We're not talking about you. We're talking, necessarily, we're talking about the defense of whiteness above all. It's in our structures. It's basically in the water. It's like literally in the water. <laughs> Flint. Yeah. And, you know, all the, um, all the reserves that have no running water. Yeah. So I think, like, just like a spectrum of sexual assault I think there's a spectrum of white supremacy. For sure. And at the one end, you've got the KKK, you've got the neo-Nazis, you've got the work of Breitbart and race fear-mongering and that type of work. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, on the very low end, I'm sure you just have, um, like, that's probably very nothing. But, like, in the middle, you've got, like, microaggressions, you've got those white structures and the the elevation of predominantly white voices um, regardless of whether they're coming from a liberal or conservative perspective. That's right, because liberal white people think they're immune because they will always tell you we're on your side. Mm, you're on the side of white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politically, you're on the side of liberal, but culturally, you're on the side of white. That's right. Which means that And that's why the 59% of white women who voted for Trump. Yeah, 53, but yeah. Whatever. It was 59% of black women. No, I think... uh, Why do I have 59% in my head? I only remember 53 because for some reason, when my battery goes down, it always stops at like this 53%. Like it's (laughs) reminding me. (laughs) Nice. I know. I'm like, this is my phone. (laughs) (laughs) always at 53 percent oh dear um so this week the times editorial board oh god decided that it was going to now keep in mind that last year at exactly this time this is the same paper that branded itself as the resistance and then its subscriptions went up um yep yeah Okay, that's what saved it from fucking obscurity. Okay, Um, the Times editorial board has been sharply critical of the Trump presidency on the grounds of policy and personal conduct. Not all readers have been persuaded. In the spirit of open debate and in hopes of helping readers who agree with us better, who agree with us better understand the views of those who don't, we wanted to let Mr. Trump's supporters make their best case for him as the first year of his presidency approaches its close. We have also published some letters from readers who voted for Mr. Trump, but are now disillusioned, and from those reacting to those letters and our decision to provide Trump voters this platform. This every opinion is worth a listen is bullshit. It's not. They're not equal. So I don't agree that the New York Times editorial page is where these voices 
quote, should be heard because the New York Times, the Washington Post, pretty much any newspaper, but particularly the New York Times and the Washington Post, have posted a number of profiles on people like Richard Spencer, Mila Yiannopoulos. Um, they go down into the Midwest. They talk to the Trump voters. They're like, why do you vote for him? Why did you vote for him? Do you still support him? How do you view his things? And they're still like, they're always like, oh, well, like they're still giving him, grading him an A on his like the work that he's accomplished, which has been nothing. What has he accomplished? Nothing. He's been riding Barack Obama's coattails the entire first year. Yes. So, no, they don't need another way to have their views heard. And just because you're getting some fucking angry emails, too fucking bad. That's literally your job is to get letters to the editor. Exactly. Um, okay. I was just listening to uh, Love It or Leave It this oh, morning. Yeah. And they played a game called... Um, fox news or trump supporter and there's a difference so they were taking quotes from the new york times editorial (gasps) and all and then the person had to guess whether it was came from fox news or from the new york times shut the fuck up and the girl got like zero 40 percent maybe and Mm -hmm. people usually get like 70 to 80 percent of actually no they get like 80 to 90 percent of the questions right yeah she had no idea wow and like those are people like Jesse Waters, uh, Sean Hannity, and quotes from those crazies. They felt that they were just getting shit on from Donald Trump and the White House. Then they're doing their fucking job. And they're like, oh, well, we're hurting someone's feelings. But Democrats do this all the time. Yes, absolutely. They, threw, they throw people of color and the, the um, policies of people of color under the bus all the time once they can once their white supremacy or their supremacy is threatened and that's why nobody fucking believes them and like i just want you to report on the news and in just report just report on the news and you have an opinion section yes but those opinions should be based in facts and reality like joe scarborough uh he writes opinion pieces for the washington the Washington Post all the time. They're fact based. They're I hate opinion. Joe Scarborough. <laughs> sure, but he's he's a conservative. He's fair enough. Writing in a liberal publication, but he's writing relatively objectively. Yeah, but he, like obviously there's a slant to it, but mm. you know it's based in what's truth. You know when you've got people saying, "Oh well, that wall is like so great," and like, "Oh, he's done so many things," that's just demonstrably not true. Like it's factually inaccurate. Yes. And that's the other thing, is that why is the New York Times promoting this factually inaccurate shit? They're, then they're just playing into the narrative of being fake news. In other words, my trust in their reporting now, and I know that opinion paid opinion and their actual reporting is different, but the point is, it's their brand. I don't trust their brand now. Yeah. And so, because I don't trust their brand, why should I trust anything that comes out of their brand? That's basically, when I say fake news, I don't mean the Donald Trump definition. I mean that your brand is now suspect of being fake in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, If you are interested in reading um, about Trump voters, there was an interesting story 
in BuzzFeed that was fully reported. I love how BuzzFeed has now become like the place to because they broke the fake news story. Yeah. They broke something else they broke. I can't remember. John Conyers. Yeah. Um, A lot of Russia stuff. A lot of of alt-right stuff. Yeah. Yes. A lot of alt-right stuff that wouldn't show up in the New York Times. Yeah. Because the New York Times apparently wants to be everything to everybody. Yeah. So this this, uh, story in BuzzFeed uh, is about a 17-year-old girl in Iowa. And I think, yeah, 17. And she lives with her conservative dad. And he's a Trump voter. Oh, I read that. And she's a diehard liberal. Liberal. Like left wing. And it talks about their relationship and how they have to navigate that relationship and how she really wants to run for politics or run for office. And her dad was like, I'm not going to vote for you. It seems to me like there's a lot underneath that relationship that's just coming out in the politics. Yeah, like there's, it's re- it was really interesting to read. Yeah, I remember reading that and thinking, damn, but I hear you, girl. Like, do you? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, do you? Yeah. So moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, Canada's Minister of Science, Innovation, Economic Development, Navdeep Baines, spoke to a group of law students in Windsor, Ontario. In his remarks, he criticized the lack of diversity in corporate leadership positions, saying, quote, One of the issues I hear from people is, well, we just don't have the people. We don't have the talent. We don't have the women. We don't have the diversity in our corporation. (laughs) We would love to promote diversity, but we just can't find the people. That's a bunch of bullshit. He went on to say, there is an enormously talented pipeline. The problem is they aren't part of the golf network. They're not part of the club network, the social networks that a lot of these boards exist and operate under. So I think that's the cultural change we're talking about before. So uh, my immediate thought to this is that he's exactly right. You know, things like golf and going to the country club is considered the social gathering of choice in the corporate world. And unless you're a golfer, well, you're severely at a disadvantage. And literally nothing screams rich, white, and male than golfing. Um, You know, like I, I could go golfing with some CEO if I were in the private sector um but uh you have to be a member and have you seen the 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 rate like you gotta pay sure. like twenty thousand a year yeah but um one uh it would be a waste of time uh because i i don't golf and it would take forever and not be a productive conversation because i would just be in like the bunker all the time and two just be embarrassing and lo- i would lose any sense of credibility um also this totally reminds me of that friends episode where rachel pretended to be a smoker so she could hang out with her boss and get like cool projects to work on instead of like the other her coworker. um well i think um i'm gonna bring this like when i was at the public service <laughs> um the best it's 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 about proximity to decision makers yes that's what we're talking about proximity to decision makers and like a cultural assimilation of you into their sort of world, right? Mm-hmm. So, and there are significant barriers to entry. One is cost. And number, so we're talking about golfing. If, if, you're, if you're a golfer, great. But remember, you have to be either a member or be invited by a member. So you either have to know somebody 
who can afford the twenty five, thirty thousand to a year to be at that golf course, or you have to be a member of the golf course. So you have yeah. to be in a pretty high bra- income bracket or a high wealth bracket. I yes. would say. Yep. I would say wealth. Secondly, so when I was at the public service, the um, how people how dudes got promoted a lot of times was because they used to play hockey with senior management on like mm. a Friday morning, show up to work at 1130 and then leave at four. Jesus. So um, and that was fine. And the rest of us had to come in at regular time and we weren't allowed that luxury. Um, so not only, so when we talk about women and don't get me wrong, there are guys who don't golf. There are guys who don't, who are not in that. I get that. But when you have that kind of discrepancy in terms of access, in terms of you basically get a Saturday morning off while the rest of the staff doesn't. And it's, it's not, it's, it's totally supported by your white male management. And third, if you're a kid of color that maybe came from immigrant parents who couldn't afford mm-hmm. hockey, mm-hmm. then you're fucked mm-hmm. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's those barriers to entry before you even get to the point where they're recruiting yep. that that separate <clears throat> the um, the the rate of, I guess, moving up the ladder. Well, yeah. And it of ascension. Yeah. And it. This also reminds me of our conversations we've had before where we talk about after work networking events. Yeah. And how that disadvantages women, it disadvantages people who you know s- single parents. Yeah. Um yeah. people who live further away from where they work. Yeah. It uh, it disadvantages I'm going to I'm going to pick up on what you just said. It disadvantages women, especially because usually it's women who have to pick up and care for the children. Mm -hmm. And if they have to go and pick you up at daycare, there's only a certain window. Yeah. Right. And therefore, they get left out of that conversation. Also, people who do not drink. Yep. So I um, one of my Muslim friends um, would always say, you know, I don't go to those things because I don't drink. Yeah. And so I feel like it's not for me and that would disadvantage her. And it's really funny because like as someone who's organized a lot of consultations and conferences and we're trying to gather information from attendees, we're always very cognizant that a table discussion is not the right environment for everyone. People don't like sharing their opinions um, to a large group of people that they don't know. So we need to create a safe way for them to contribute and feel like they're being heard. And you do that by like writing things down and then sharing and then maybe discussing. But for things after work, social activities, we don't take that into account at all. No. But we still want people to feel like they're part of the team, like they're, they're valued, but they're not valued as much because they don't get the same quote-unquote socializing opportunities or to get that sense of team building exactly exactly and then they're not known yep and so when they're not known um and two people are going for a job or they decide to promote yeah two people 
It's hard to have just your work speak for you. No. Anybody who thinks like they can go through life with just their work speaking for them needs a clue. Yeah. Anyway, um, so one of the other things that uh, Minister Baines uh, spoke about at this event um, was he also spoke about BC25, which is making its way through the Senate. This is a liberal bill designed, designed to boost diversity amongst corporate directors and members of senior management by amending the Canada Business Corporations Act, uh, which Minister Baines describes as, quote, it's a comply or explain model, so corporations must have a diversity strategy. What's in that diversity strategy is up to the corporation. They should also have targets. If they don't have a strategy, they need to explain to the shareholders why not. So basically, they're making kind of quotas for board of directors, boards of directors, correct? Yeah. How do you feel about that, Erica? I don't love it, um, but I do. It's 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 a typical it's a typical knee jerk reaction to me. Yep. Um, I really think they need to start further down at the bottom. And when I say further down at the bottom, I mean at the entry level. Okay. So, for example, um, I feel as though that they're just going to put in tokens. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to tokenize people. Yeah. So, for anybody who um, doesn't know what tokenization is, it basically is um, basically you put somebody of a disadvantaged group just for show and they have no real decision making. They have no power, so they can't make decisions and they have to, they feel as though they have to follow um, the prevailing culture and the prevailing, I guess, way of doing things. Yeah. They have no voice, basically. Yeah, they're, they're voiceless. They're and there just because they're marginalized. Yeah, they're a marginalized group, and they have to show. And the the rest of the company has to show um, that. Oh yeah, well we. It's basically padding the numbers, mm. and that's also what we call window dressing. <coughs> so, um, Canada loves to window dress. It loves to tokenize marginalized people, and that's all that this bill, to me, does. I will say that I'm surprised that I have not heard... I I searched for this bill online, and it's only the CBC piece that I saw on it. There's been very little on this. And it also strikes me that the Canadian media loves to, like, run away from actual discussions like true discussions of diversity because it's like the New York Times and doesn't want to piss people off. Well, I mean, maybe. They also, also don't have the personnel to to actually. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. how many how many times I was can we read something that. about white people talking about diversity? But why do they feel that it has to be white people talking about diversity? Because there's no one else to do it. Because they didn't groom anybody else. They groomed the dude they play fucking hockey with that shows up to work at 1130. Yeah. And he's supposed to be the best of the best? No, he just knows how to suck up more than others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I don't don't think it's the best way to do it. I mean, it's a signal. 
it's a it's good a, signal. It's a signal. Um, but yeah, I think it could have been done in a better, more sustainable way. Um, because we're not solving the problem. We're no. just, we're band-aid affecting. It's, it's a band-aid effect. And what I find is that, um, a lot of, um, liberal left governments, center left governments love to do this band-aid effect and not actually deal with the issue. We don't have a merit-based system. We have a bunch of guys who play golf, play hockey, probably go to the strip club still, and then make policy together mm. on the back of a napkin. Yeah. Like literally on the back of a napkin. I will say, um, I did create a committee on the back of a napkin once at the bar. <laughs> Which committee was it? It was a youth committee when I was out in Vancouver. Oh, please. Girl, please. If you didn't do that. We did, like, our, we did a strategic plan on a napkin. Uh, excuse me. You're not. <laughs> are, are you handling billion, like, like multi-million dollars? No. And, okay. No. <laughs> and policy that will affect basically everybody? No. Okay. Um, anyway. Scale is important. <laughs> Let's move on to everyone's favorite feminist hero this week. Ellen. But not that Ellen. Ellen Pompeo. Woohoo! Um, so, Erica, do you watch Grey's Anatomy? No. Doesn't really strike me as your type of show. <laughs> I just, you know, I I know who's on Grey's Anatomy, but I really don't care about the stories. I'm sorry. I just, Fair. I just, it just never, you know, grabbed me. Yeah. But But I respect its position in the pantheon of television, you know, yeah, it was a juggernaut when mm-hmm. it came Juggernauts. out. Juggernauts, that's great. Right yeah. out of the gate in 2005. I am a huge Grey's fan. I just haven't watched this season yet. Um, so the Hollywood Reporter this week um, had a profile on Ellen Pompeo, Meredith Grey and Grey's. And so it announced that she is now the highest paid actress in a TV drama. Um, Good with, for her. She just signed a new contract in December with her contract lasting until season 16, and they're now in 14. Um, and from now until then, the contract is worth $20 million. So she is earning roughly $575,000 per episode, which, I mean, is not as much as the cast of Friends was earning at the when they finished, but, I'm, they... but they all negotiated together. Oh. And there were also, like, five of six of them so like the cast was considerably smaller than like yeah. a big ensemble like yeah Grey's. yeah um so there are a couple of things worth talking about in this profile um the first is money so you know we've in pop culture lately there's been a lot of discussion about pay discrepancies and we talked about last week with michelle williams and mark Wahlberg, the pay discrepancy between them during the reshoots for all the money in the world. Um, So Ellen Pompeo chose to discuss her salary publicly, which doesn't usually happen um, because it's not something, it seems very tacky and passe, but it seems as though she wants to make an impact on two things. One, how people both inside and outside the industry view TV actors. And two, how women negotiate and think about their value within the industry. So she says, quote, I'm not necessarily perceived as successful, 
but a 24-year-old actress with a few big movies is, even though she's probably being paid shit. She's certainly being paid less than her male co-star and probably with no back end. And they're going... And they're going to pimp her out until she's 33 or 34, and then she's out like yesterday's trash. And then what does she have to take care of herself? These poor girls have no real money, and the studio is making a fortune and parading them around like ponies on a red carpet. I mean, Faye Dunaway is driving a fucking Prius today. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Prius, but my point is she had no financial power. If we're going to invoke change, that has to be part of it. This piece was from her was just boss. Yeah. It was just fucking boss. It's interesting to hear her talk about how, like, someone like... This is a bad example because she's already famous. Like, so famous, but Jennifer Lawrence. I was just thinking about her when but you were saying But she makes that. so much money. So, you know what? We're going to use a better example. We're going to use an example of Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg for all the money in the world, for their actual salary for the original shoot of the movie. Because last week we talked about the reshoot. Yes payment right so michelle williams um she michelle williams for all the money in the world earned a total of six hundred and twenty five thousand dollars no while mark Wahlberg made five million he's trash so this is exactly what she's talking about you know uh, michelle williams is worth more than that yeah um but because they can still milk her for all of that low pay they take advantage of that just anyway so yeah she's it's a perfect example of how a famous actress like michelle williams is being paid garbage but someone like ellen pompeo who's viewed clearly as less than is making way more money and is able and has much more solid financial so ellen pompeo continues and says a guy wouldn't have any problem asking for six hundred thousand dollars an episode And as a woman, we're like, oh, I can't ask for that. Is that okay? So I call Shonda one day and say, am I being greedy? But CAA, uh, her agency, compiled a list of stats and Grace has generated nearly $3 billion for Disney, the parent company of ABC. Uh, And when your face and your voice have been part of something that's generated $3 billion for one of the biggest corporations in the world, you start to feel like, okay, maybe I do deserve a piece of this. This is why I'm not doing shit for free. Yeah. You have to understand the value of your time and your worth. Yeah. And I got to say, um, so I I have to, I'm going to break and just say like, my boyfriend has been helping me understand this. Yeah. Um, which is one of the greatest lessons you can learn. He's like, Erica, your time is worth money mm-hmm. and your expertise is worth something. Yeah. You need don't do shit for free. I was like, yeah. Because I remember saying, it's 2018. I'm doing shit for free. The only thing I do for free is this podcast just because, you know, it's, yeah. it's our baby, yeah. right? And whatever that goes with it. Other than that, no, no. Yeah. Because I feel as though, um, first of all, people will take advantage. They'll want to infringe on your time and they won't respect you and they'll keep lowballing you. Yep. And I'm not, no, I don't want to be one of those statistics that doesn't feel like I'm good enough. Like I'm working through that anyway. And it doesn't like, I don't want to do that to myself when it's a lot of work that goes into what we do. Mm-hmm. A lot of work. Oh yeah. And so, um, my thing is I just 
no, I'm not doing shit for free. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. If you want me to show up somewhere, like speak or something, then you better pony up. Yep. That's the way I feel. Absolutely. You too, Aaron. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm totally supportive of this. I think that she just, you know, when you when one of those things starts trending on Twitter and it just slaps you with reality and like you need to get your shit together. You got to think about this. I felt like this was one of those pieces. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we're talking about it. Yeah. Because it's not about it's not just about us. It's a re- like a lot of companies are go do this negotiation kind of salary thing. And the fact that we don't talk about it means that they already have the upper hand because they yeah. have asymmetric information. Yeah. They have information that you don't have because you don't know how much your male worker is getting paid. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Or or um, or who somebody be- you know below you in rank is getting paid. And yeah. companies use that to lowball you. Yeah. And insofar as in America, they will ask you what your last salary is so they can lowball you again. And so now, really, the, the I guess, economic return to education and stuff is less so because we have to now, every time, negotiate what we're worth. So ladies, feministas, female-identifying we need to get our shit together and damn well demand what we're worth. And I'm saying this for myself too. It's not, I'm not saying this to be preachy. Right. I'm really just saying like this mm-hmm. for myself, for everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it's just an unnecessary, unnecessary toll on your mental health. It is. And then you'll just be doing shit. Um, so the second thing I wanted to talk about, or I thought would be good to talk about from this, this uh, profile was that, it seems like Ellen Pompeo is trying to make uh, Meredith Grey more feminist and is seemingly grown into her own feminism throughout the past 14 years. Um, she she talks about when Patrick Dempsey, a.k.a. McDreamy, left the show. And talking about uh, when Patrick Dempsey left the show, Ellen Pompeo says, So what does it look like when he leaves the show? First, it looks like a rating spike, and I had a nice chuckle about that. But- <laughs> She totally threw. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the truth is, the the this ink was- wasn't even dry on his exit papers before they rushed in a new guy. I was on vacation in Sicily decompressing. It was a long working relationship and it was a tumultuous end and I needed a moment to chill out with some rosé. And they're calling me going, well, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? And they're sending pictures. And I was like, are you people fucking nuts? Why do you think you have to replace this person? I couldn't believe how fast the studio and the network felt like they had to get a penis in there. So, yeah. Well, because then it would be a woman's show. Yeah. But I like the fact that she wanted to not have a love interest and, like, show some personal development and growth. I think, I again, this piece is boss. Especially because, like, in the show... He died. So, like, having to go through that grieving process and, like, see what that looks like and ma- how that manifests um, in the workplace, in her relationships, would have been awesome instead of just throwing her into some potential 
dating thing. You know why? Because men think they know what women want. Well, there's a movie called about mm-hmm. that. It's mm-hmm. called What Women Want. And who starred in that motherfucker? <laughs> okay. So men always think that they know what the female audience wants. They know jack shit all. It's true. These, you know, these network execs, first of all, they're just slimy. And second of all, they always think they know and they don't know shit. Yep. If they did know, then we wouldn't be leaving network television in droves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the final thing that she talked about that I wanted to raise was that in the piece she talks about how she originally wasn't stoked to be on TV. She, the show was a hit and she was like, oh, I'm fucked because she wanted to be a movie star. She thought originally right. 14 years ago, 15 years ago, that was the way to success. Grey's Anatomy is that old? Yeah. Girl, we're in f- season 14. <laughs> I'm getting old, duh. Um, and so, and that's the way it was back then, right? In 2005, start being a celebrity meant being in movies. It didn't mean being on TV. That's right. And now you've got Big Little Lies. You've got all of these movie stars, right? Now on TV. Well, TV has expanded um, not only viewers' choice, but it really has matured. I think we were talking about it last week on our bonus pod with one of our co-stars that the the fact that TV develops over a longer period of time yeah. means that you can have more intricate um, um, investigations of characters. Yes. And I think that the it seems to me like network execs in, in, in television, not I shouldn't say network, because that's like ABC and CBS. But anyway, um, so for example, you have a, a, it's the golden age of TV, really. And now we have too much choice almost. By the way, I'm going to start Black Mirror soon. So yeah, just to see what the hell everybody's talking about. (laughs) And I'm going to see if it's any good. Anyway, the point, and you don't have to stick to, I, I find that TV doesn't stick to, um, archetypes as much yeah and that you're seeing a lot more people who also came from tv develop tv shows i'm thinking yeah. donald glover right yeah Don- donald yes. Glover, yes right now um i'm thinking isa ray i used to watch misadventures of the of an awkward black girl in 2005 when it was just a web series i don't know what that is okay isa ray used to have this web series and that's where her show Insecure really comes from. Oh. Yeah. And it was a hit. And it was, she was playing an anti-black girl archetype, like one that just didn't exist. Okay. Like she was awkward and nerdy and weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. Like TV seems to have that that space to do that. Yeah. Whereas the movies seem to be back in like the 70s and 80s where sure. they're still playing off those those stupid stereotypes of especially marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And so when I say like male executives always think that they know what women want, they're playing off those stereotypes. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, from the profile, uh, Ellen Pompeo says... In the last few weeks, a lot of us actresses in town have been having these meetings as part of the Time's Up initiative. 
We've been sharing stories and trying to figure out how we can promote change and use our voices to help other people. And I'll tell you, sitting in rooms full of Oscar-winning actresses, listening to how they've been preyed upon and assaulted is frightening. And it confirms that my path really was the right one for me because I've chosen to financially empower myself so that I never have to be ducking predators and chasing trophies. It's not for everyone. You have to be more interested in business than you are in acting. Oh, well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, it just shows that like sometimes the path for you is unexpected. Don't I know that. (laughs) And to like not force it, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. I have a lot to say on that. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, she's a great example where, where she accepted an alternative path. Mm -hmm. And And I, and then realized the benefits of that path. Right. Because that's where she was led. Right. Yeah. So I, I really do, you know, when I see, um, first of all, I, I will, I will continue to say that this piece is so boss and every woman should read it. Um, is this a New York times piece? I can't No, It's a Hollywood reporter. It's Hollywood reporter. They've been doing some good work recently. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny that she talked about um, you have to be more interested in business than acting. Is that her comparing television to movies? Yes. Oh. Yes, because she said because they're there over many months shooting many episodes um, and their days are like 12 to 14 hours. So there's a lot of downtime um, and a lot of like repetition. So it's not an in-depth dive into a character for like six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And you're not, you don't get to, and you're, you're living with this character. Like it becomes a part of you, who you are Mm -hmm. for a more prolonged period of time. Right. So it's less quote unquote creative. Yeah. But, oh, I see. And it's more branding and, and in terms of. Yeah. Because she, she doesn't get to do a lot of other creative projects because she's. Right. Doing this. Right. So, in other words, you play a character in, in the movies, you play a character for, you know, a certain for the length of the movie, and then you move on to another character. Yeah. Whereas the character in TV that you are portraying becomes more intimately associated with you as a person. Yeah. And she can she can say things like, oh, I don't believe Meredith would do this or make this decision. Right. Or say this thing. Right. How I wonder how involved she is in the writing process. I don't think at all. Okay. I think she does, she does some directing. She does some producing. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so because of that, she's been able to like learn different skills because she's able to diversify. She's been with the same group of people relatively for such a long time that she's been able to learn different things where she probably wouldn't necessarily get that chance otherwise. So the takeaway here is get paid and diversify bitches. So now we're moving on to rent and receipts and this is where we each bring a story 
or news item for the other one to enlighten them about something happening in the world. Enlightenment. So, um, I will go first. Uh, mine is um, a story coming out of the Charleston Gazette Mail, which I know sounds very obscure. Let me tell you it is. Um, and so this story is about how in the state of West Virginia, um, the National Conference of State Legislators in 2015 voted to pass Senate Bill 6 um, with overwhelming support. Um, and that bill uh, drug-tested low-income people applying for financial help from the state, so welfare. I feel like this is the 90s all over again. Uh, yeah, so um, the supporters of the bill within the legislature said that this would get people into treatment um, for those who tested positive for drugs. Um, and opponents to the bill said it unfairly stereotyped poor people, which absolutely it criminalizes poverty. Um, so... Um, officials said that they estimated that the bill could flag 390 people within the first year uh, that would test positive for drugs and that it would cost about $50,000 to administer in the first year. So um, it turns out that earlier in January, um, the deputy secretary of the DHHR, which I'm not 100% sure, oh, the Department of Health and Human Resources in West Virginia, uh, told a group of lawmakers and at, at the health of De House of Delegates Health Committee meeting that only four applicants, which is less than one half a percent, tested positive for drugs since the program began it, on October 23rd, 2017. So they wasted taxpayers' money on a bunch of lies. Shocking. So basically, they're not even on pace in the first year to get 100 people, let alone 390. So they're going to get, what, 12, 16 <laughs> at this rate? And you know what the thing is? Um, instead of saying, you know what, maybe we were wrong about this, they're just going to say something like fake news or something. Yeah, so uh, during that period of time, um, 873 parents applied uh, for the program, and of those 873, 107 were directed to take the drug test based on a questionnaire, and four tested positive for drugs. This is just so racially stereotyped that I can't believe it. But this is the exact type of thing that happens in America all the time. Isn't that what Clint like? Isn't that what part of the the welfare reform that Clinton passed in like ninety two or ninety four? Ninety four. I'm not sure. Let me look this up. Um, but yeah, like this, these types of things, policies that criminalize poverty disproportionately affect people of color they disproportionately oh, yeah. affect black people um and it's just not right it happens in baltimore all the time baltimore right now is racist i mean racist yes um, but they are going through a hell of a time because their school their school districts don't have enough money to heat the schools so 
you know, over the holidays and into early January when it was super cold in the Northeast, kids were at school wearing jackets. And that's just because all of the money is going into the, to the police because they believe that there's an extreme crime problem, which is... So you're not going to educate the kids in heat and you wonder why there's a crime problem? Yeah. Like... Yeah, and then there's what one... What is with Baltimore? Because isn't it like last week it's they had this so corrupt. stupid... So the wire was accurate. It is... There's also an instance in Baltimore where the school board didn't have enough money to pay a school librarian and she was going to lose her job, so the parents crowdfunded her salary. Well, yeah, and going back to this story in uh, West Virginia, the government didn't know... If that the 800 and some 873 people who applied for welfare was an average number over that, you know, three period, three month period or whether there was fewer people um, because of the, the drug testing requirement and that, you know, information will come at a later date. But still, like they, they're just saying, well, I just hope we've saved the lives of four people. That's a big impact. First of all, it's a big leap to say you saved their lives, okay? <laughs> um, there's so many things to unpack. Um, Meanwhile, um, a local addiction treatment specialist said that four out of 873 was relatively expected. Um, no, it wasn't, or no, else they wouldn't have run the policy. Oh, you're yeah, telling yes, the others. The, okay, yeah. Sorry, my They're, bad. They say that's like the uh, the expected rate of drug use over that period. I see. Okay. So basically, uh, West Virginia racist as fuck. So the temporary assistance to needy families, yeah, established tougher mandates on poor single mothers, and gave states more flexibility in how they spent. Their welfare dollars, opening the door for increased discrimination against minorities. Um, this was Clinton's 96 welfare mm. reform bill. Yeah. And this is what we're also seeing with the Trump administration and the uh, work requirements for um, things like food stamps. Yeah. So they implemented com complicated and demeaning application procedures and relied on fingerprinting and drug testing to weed out the quote unquote criminal element, even though there was little evidence of widespread criminal activity among recipients. OK, so basically, um, good old Billy Clinton uh, basically started this ball rolling. <laughs> All our faves are problematic. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Do you want to share your rent and receipts? My rant and receipts? Your rant and receipts, yes. That's what we're going to call it yours <laughs> from now on. Okay. So this is, um, has to do with Monique. Okay, so Monique is probably an obscure name to a bunch of people. I get that. Which, which totally, like, supports my view on this thing. Okay, so Monique is um, a comedian. She uh, was the mother on Precious, in Precious. She won an Academy Award for her performance. Mm -hmm. She is um, a well, a critically acclaimed comedian, basically. Um, 
and she's done a couple of more roles. But let's just say her career has not been robust as some, right? So she went on Instagram and basically um, did this video that said that she was offered a $500,000 deal last week to do a comedy special for Netflix. Um, and she said, however, Amy Schumer was offered $11 million, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle $20 million. Then Amy Schumer went back and renegotiated $2 million because she said, I shouldn't get what the men are getting, they're legends, however, I should get more. And Netflix agreed. When we asked Netflix to explain the difference, why the money was so different, they said, well, we believe that's what Monique will bring. We said, what about my resume? They said, we don't go off resumes. Then we asked them, what is it about Amy Schumer? And they said, well, she sold, she sold out Madison Square Garden twice, and she had a big movie over the summer. And so then she goes on and says, is that not Amy Schumer's resume. And then Netflix said, by the way, we believe Monique is a legend too. And so Monique is saying in this video, why shouldn't I get paid what the legends are getting? Please stand with me in this boycott of Netflix. <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, no. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to just start with the, yes, yeah. black, black women. Women are underpaid. Black women are even more underpaid. However, Monique hasn't really been about that life <laughs> like since, yeah. like, I don't know, 2014. And, you know, then right after she won the Academy Award, I remember, like, she basically threw Lee Daniels, Oprah, and and somebody else under the bus and started criticizing them, mm -hmm. like, in public. And then she didn't get any roles, and then she complained about not getting any roles. And I'm just like, um, sure, like, fine. A million, two million, fine. A million, fine. Okay? 500,000? Mm, I don't know about that. However... My thing is this. If she really wanted to stay in the game, if she really wanted to make a name for herself, where's her YouTube special? Like, where's her YouTube channel? Yeah. So looking at Monique's IMDb, um, since Precious, which was in 2009. Mm. Girl, I was saying 2013. I forgot it was that long. 2009. She did um, a, a thing called Steppin' the Movie in 2009. Oh. She did... Then there was a break. Uh, that she did Blackbird in 2014. No idea what that is. No. She did Bessie, which is a TV movie in 2015. Was it Lifetime? I don't think so. Mm. Then she did Interwoven in 2016 and Almost Christmas in 2016. She's basically missed a generation. I don't know what that is. I'll tell you what it is. It is... There is... Like, you're only as good as your last project. And her last, like, her last good project was in 2009. Exactly. That's why they're off. I didn't even know that Monique was originally a comedian. There you go. To the, I'm just saying that there are ways to, you know, do this thing. Mm. Now, contrast that with Tracy Ellis Ross, who, um, I guess, 
okay, it was in the Twitter sphere. It was reported that she um, she threatened to cut back her blackish episodes if she wasn't paid more. Now, that's a hit show. Mm-hmm. She is an integral figure in that show. Without her, that show wouldn't work. I would say that, he, like, the husband, Anthony, is more replaceable than she is. Oh. That's what I think. She really carries that show. Hmm. Um, but she had a, she released a statement, I think, last night. She said, there's been a lot of conversation and speculation the last few days regarding my blackish salary. I was in a renegotiation like many actors find themselves in during the fourth season of a successful show. I wanted to be compensated compensated in a way that matches my contribution to a show that I love for many reasons, including the opportunity it allows me to reshape what it is to be a fully realized black woman on TV. The, f- the words and thoughts that were in the original article that started this public conversation were not mine. They were never... There were never any threats. I wish I would have been called by the reporter. And basically, she's saying that, look, thank you for the support. Um, I'm truly thankful that important conversations are taking place about fighting for women's worth and equality and tightening the pay gap in every industry. Well said, my dear. Mm -hmm. Well said. So in other words, like, I love the way she handled that. She's, She's not saying that she's not renegotiating for more money she's saying i never gave these statements right however on the other hand we need to tighten this fucking pay gap yeah so let's review what tracy ellis ross did before blackish she was on one of the most successful, I would say, black comedy shows, if not comedy, I think it's the longest running female comedy show of all time. Um, Great. Now I'm going to Girlfriends Mm. on BET. Um, And she had a comedic role in that. She was on there for like eight years or nine years or something like that. It's been a long time. So it's not like she's coming from nowhere. And that's the difference. The difference is I'm here for women getting paid, especially black women getting paid. But Monique Child, like 2009, no. You got you to gotta be able to back yourself up. And like as a comedy special and me not knowing that she was a comedian. Is a problem. Like, I don't know. Could she sell at Madison Square Garden t- no. two nights in a row? No. Well, then there you no. go. Exactly. So you, I guess the other side of this is you yes need to know what you're worth but that goes both ways what are you bringing yeah. you also have to have yeah and you have to have some self-awareness you have to have self-awareness so monique you need to gain some self-awareness okay so we're gonna move on to misogynist of the week this one might come as a surprise. <laughs> a little bit out of left field. So our misogynist of the week is Lamar Odom. Chloe <laughs> Kardashian's ex-husband, former NBA player. He needs to keep her name out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, so that's your ex. Bye. Yeah. 
Um, so earlier or this past week, um, Lamar Odom was a guest on BET's Man Cave, which oh that is a oh, real, dumpster fire, real bad name for a show. Can't imagine what that's about. It's about it. If they invited Lamar Odom, you can only imagine what that's about. Yeah. Um, so during his interview, Lamar Odom said that he knew his marriage to Khloe Kardashian was over when, quote, she was on to her second or third NBA player, end quote. Wow. So just for some context, uh, Khloe and Lamar were married from September 2009 until October 2016. They had their own reality series. Khloe and Lamar never watched it. Um, but, uh, the relationship took a turn when rumors of, uh, Lamar Odom's alleged drug use and infidelity surfaced, and this kind of came to a head, um, in 2015, and I believe at this point, uh, Chloe and Lamar had already separated, and they, she had filed for a divorce, um, but Lamar Odom was found unconscious in a Nevada brothel, so this was in 2015. And he almost died, and Chloe rushed to his side, and they they got rid of the divorce papers, and they were gonna. Oh, yeah, it that's seemed like right. they were seemed they like they were, were gonna re- reconcile. Reunited. <laughs> yeah, I thought that it seemed like they were gonna reconcile, and they were gonna make it and be like, "That's a great like little story." Um, that obviously didn't happen. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it turned that uh, Lamar had um sex enhancers and cocaine in his system at the scene of the brothel so uh of course chloe kardashian is now pregnant with another nba player's name i did you see did you see um kim kardashian's tweet yes so this is the issue so one lamar odom um, slut shamed Khloe Kardashian. Yeah. Um, but on Twitter, so this was a thing that happened on Twitter. Someone tweeted out like, "Oh, Lamar said this about Khloe." Tristan Thompson Thank is you. the name of the NBA player. Yeah. Anyway, Tristan Thompson. Yes, Khloe's baby daddy. Mm-hmm. So, in response to Lamar's slut shaming, which is why he's misogynist of the week, Kim <laughs> Kardashian. In her full bitch mode. I love when she's in this mode. Quote tweets the story and says, so the, the tweet is, Lamar Odom on Khloe Kardashian. I knew my marriage was to Khloe was over when she was on her second or third NBA player, Kim says, or second or third brothel. Damn. This slut shaming of the Kardashians has got to stop. People love and hate the Kardashians for similar reasons. Yes. They hate that the Kardashian, like Kim basically <laughs> made her millions off her starting with her sex. Sure. And so I think people think it's okay to, to slut shame her because of that. Mm-hmm. But we're um, so far beyond that now. Like, on one hand, we want our celebrities to be pristine and to reflect our values and uh, what we want them to be and what we want to be for ourselves. And on the other hand, we hate them because they 
there there's a lot in there they have a lot of agency to do a lot of things that we wouldn't do because we have moral issues with their choices sometimes like sending nude photos to her or posting them to our social media you know things like that right somebody like and i i go back to oprah can do good things and people still hate her yeah you know what i mean i i just there's no winning yeah with fame so um i think i think it's unfair that chloe especially gets chloe gets slut shamed a lot too and um i just i really think she just really loved her husband and really put a lot of work and a lot of herself into that relationship Mm -hmm. and so um and i'm no card you'll never hear me talk like glowingly about the kardashians (laughs) lord knows but at the same time um i do think that um chloe got a bad a bad rap with lamar because he's trash yeah and i'm not saying that her next choice was the greatest either but hey like a it's not my place to say Mm -hmm. but b how many of us have made shitty choices in men sure so i'm not i'm not here to to preach to preach or to like judge her i just think that there's i i think that these pot shots at her when she's already moved on makes him look sad yes and makes him look thirsty for attention yeah and to me that's what he looks like yeah thirsty for attention and second of all when did the word burn come back in it just seems so it seems so middle-aged white guy so passe isn't it passe yeah it it does seem like you grew up in the 80s i'm just saying (laughs) dude nothing says middle age like the word burn let me see mike (laughs) singed oh yeah senior executive at nbc oh yeah (laughs) wait a minute why is a senior oh retired but i don't understand why an ex-senior executive at nbc is tweeting this and saying burn like it's funny like why Uh, is he passing on the misogyny uh you just answered your own question he's passing on the misogyny because he thinks it's funny that shit ain't funny mike no, but like, yeah, exactly. Like retweeting that or saying like, haha, that's so funny is makes you know better than Lamar Odom. And that's exactly what we talk. We mean we mean when we talk about complicity. Yeah, he's complicitly slept shaming. You know what? Add him to the list. What's his name? Mike Sington. And he used the word burn. Like what the f- who is this? Who is this? Who is this? <laughs> Well, on that note, there you go. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike uh, and Lamar. Fuck you both. So don't, okay. <laughs> so, so don't forget to become a patron of the pod and get cool things. <laughs> Patreon.com slash bad and bitchy. You can find us on the internet everywhere, all over on Twitter at bad and bitchy on Instagram at bad and bitchy pod on Facebook. Um, bad and be podcast. And you can email us. Send us your send us your emails. Send us your messages. Send us your thoughts, your hopes and dreams. Uh, send us your ideas for content. Um, that is badandbpod at gmail.com. And as always, we'd like to thank Media Style for letting us use their space. 
Media Style is a progressive public affairs agency located in Ottawa. They are a social enterprise making Canada a better place. Thank you, Media Style. Any any closing thoughts? Um, no, I think I think I'm good. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, rate us on Facebook. Give us all sorts of ratings. Thanks, guys. And we will check you out next week. We're not recording. There's no pod next week. But we will definitely have content for you. In other words, videos are coming. Woo. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.